That's the sound of rioters who forced their way inside the U.S. Capitol building on January 6th to try to stop electoral votes from being counted. The insurrection came as we were putting together this episode to discuss legislative change, advocacy work, and how to get through to lawmakers. Taking over the seat of government is un-American and anti-democratic. Rather, this episode talks about the right way to lobby officials for change. You'll get to hear from representatives Deborah Heffernan and Paul Baumbach who work with their constituents often on new ideas. You'll also meet Samtra DeVard, a resident behind law that highlighted the need for more speech therapists in Delaware. And finally, policy advocate Javon Rich of the ACLU, who had this to say about rioters who ransacked the U.S. Capitol building. A lot of historical changes in the past have also been met by the same resistance, but we got to keep pushing forward to, to make it, you know, a more equal country for folks. From the Delaware House, Democratic Caucus, you're listening to Whip Count. I like to start this podcast with Samtra DeVard. She advocated for more speech therapists in the state, and her work began with her daughter, Lauren, who has Down syndrome. Thank you so much for joining us. Tell me, in 2003, you learned that your daughter needed speech therapy and that there was a shortage of those professionals here. Tell us a little bit more. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you for, for having me and, and for welcoming uh, this opportunity to share a little bit of our journey. But uh, one of the things that I wanted to to think about or share is in order to get the things that we need for those we love, we have to something and we have to be willing to do that. I didn't know that going into this journey, mm-hmm. but what I found out is that, you know, we we had a need. You know, I didn't want Lauren to have to wait to get what she needed to be able to talk, to be able to be the best person, you know, she could be to tap in the potential that she had. And so I just had a leading, I think, um, I'm a spiritual person. Um, I have a, have faith in God and I want to just, you know, give him glory that we were just in the position that we just got a new representative. Her name was Valerie Longhurst. And I wrote a letter because the birth degree program had invited us to come to legislative hall to share our story in mm-hmm. early intervention, uh, for the joint finance committee. And, so they were trying to cultivate parents and being willing to open up a, a portion of their lives to just talk about how the services that our state provides is, is helping their child thrive. And so I wrote her a letter introducing myself and just to let her know that I would be in legislative hall. And so from there, she actually came out and and met us. We took a great picture on the steps of Legislative Hall, which many people who have gone there would know about doing that. Yes. Did um, you frame the picture? 
Yeah, uh, I didn't know too at the time. Okay. Um, but my husband and and my our two baby sons and and my daughter, we all took a picture there with with her. Okay. Um, and it's just amazing to kind of look back at that now because they're all so big. But um, yeah, that was how it began. And you know, I explained in the letter, you know, what our need was and and you know what the problem was with having too few speech therapists um, in our state. And what was also true at that time was none of the universities in our state had a um, graduate level speech language pathology program. And so what happens is anyone who did want to pursue that field would go out of state for their education. But the statistics was showing that when people do that, they end up settling and starting their adult life where they go to school. So without us having, like our in-state people were leaving, going to school and staying out of the state. And so it just was, there was no pipeline to be able to, you know, increase the numbers. I mean, so this wasn't really just a Delaware problem either. It was it's a, a kind of a national problem. One thing led to another, um, you know, Val Longhurst just has uh, an amazing listening ear. And yeah, she, she does. you know, yeah. took the ball. And and before we knew it, Governor Minner, who was governor at that time, created a task force um, at her urging, at Val Longhurst's urging. And then that task force looked into it. It had a, like a bunch of key stakeholders. And that ended up leading into you know, getting the higher education folks involved and on board. Um, the the Center for Disability Studies at UD was on board. Easter Seals, some amazing people who are lifelong advocates in our state in the disability community. They were all like really brought to bear under Val's leadership. And, you know, I, it's a bit humbling to hear the other side of the coin. I really just wanted to get my daughter into speech therapy in which we, you know, were able to get that later, like, you know, when she was maybe four at Easter Seals. But I want to just say, I didn't know that my little letter, I didn't know the power of it. I just really just wanted speech therapy for my daughter. And what ended up happening, you know, I began talking to you about the the task force. It grew. And now University of Delaware has a speech language pathology program at the graduate level, you know, producing speech therapists for our state. And the humbling part is that my tiny little voice was the seed that got that going. Uh It's Lauren's story. To push for legislative change, I'm sure that was not something on your mind. It just, like you mentioned, it started off as this letter. And looking back, you realize you planted the seed. How does that feel? It's humbling. And it it reminds you that there is something bigger than yourself at work. Because, you know, it turns out that letter was, you know, Val Longhurst's first constituent letter, which I didn't even know. I didn't even know that until, you know, years and years later. And she just never gave up till the, the 
situation was addressed. Let me tell you, none of it really hit me until we get a, a, a phone call from, you know, Val Longhurst. We'd like for you to come over. Come over where? To the ribbon cutting. Mm-hmm. What ribbon cutting? And it was then that I, I was able to connect the dots. Because see, what it is, it's more like a, a, a relay race. You, you know that there's this problem and you may not necessarily know if it will ever get solved or addressed, but you realize you had a part to play and to come over to um, the star campus, which is where the program is housed mm-hmm. at UD. And I, you know, my daughter came um, and, you know, she participated in that, that initial ribbon cutting. I, w- I just was overcome with tears because I just had no idea that, you know, our journey could even have an impact. But it was just taking that risk and opening up our lives just briefly to to talk about where we needed help. And, you know, it's something beautiful came from it. It's, it's just still to this day... I, it just is breathtaking to really think about what happened just with one small voice. Thank you so much for being transparent. So your daughter now, you mentioned earlier uh, before the podcast that your daughter is 20 now. She's about to be 20 in February. And um, she loves, (laughs) talk about her speech for a moment. She loves microphones um that she loves you know emceeing and singing and um you know doing what you do in terms of interviewing you know of course but she is and 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 there's an amazing you know light to really just about anybody that she meets just has a heart for people and and praise for people she she's just an empathetic person yes so, yeah, she's got a lot going on. She keeps me busy. <laughs> yeah, that's a good thing. I'd like to welcome Representative Deborah Heffernan to WhipCount. We always love hearing from our lawmakers and hearing about what they're working on and how often they connect with their constituents. It's a new session, and we have some new legislators, and it's also a new year that citizens get to play an important role in public policy. We like to focus on that a bit and even highlight constituents or advocacy groups, for that matter, that push for legislative change. Representative Heffernan, how important is it for you to include the people in your district when it comes to drafting a bill? It is the most important thing. I feel like the best ideas that I get for legislation come from interactions and talking with constituents. One of um, a recent bill a few years ago was what we like to call the growler bill. What a growler is, is it's a container, like a glass ceramic stainless steel container that you would filled with draft beer and used to transport it home to enjoy. 
um, a constituent of mine had the idea to allow growlers to be filled at liquor stores, not just breweries. And that was a great idea. So this idea was brought to me by a constituent who had seen it in other states. Um, we were able to work on that bill, which took three years, but get it in place in our state of Delaware opened up a whole new industry um, for liquor stores and for um, customers to be able to enjoy draft beer at breweries, brew pubs, and liquor stores. And it's really um, encouraged economic development on our state and made it really easy for people to enjoy different draft beers and try them out before buying um, like a six-pack or a case of that beer. So it's been pretty exciting. When it comes to to legislative change from different advocacy groups or constituents, it doesn't have to come in the form of an idea for a bill. It can be just testimonials, correct? Or what, what, what are some of the things that people can do to help a legislator? Well, and and that's exactly true. It's not only ideas, it's um, support. I think one of the most important things is to talk to your legislator and for the public to be able to communicate with your legislator through any um, way that there is um, through Facebook, Facebook message, next door, calls, emails. I think that email and sharing your personal story and how a bill will impact your life or those of people around you and your family is the most important. I recently in October had a conversation with a seventh grade student. His name is Joseph Grande about a bill that I am working on for ending subminimum wage for people with disabilities. And he is a strong advocate for that. And I am hoping that he will be helpful. Him and his fellow students are going to be helpful in helping us pass the bill. Wow. So, so I, I, there's lots of, um, I think student voices are really important. I have had like input from students for a lot of bills that I have worked on over the years, including Delaware's Employment First initiative for people with disabilities. And I I just think that it's very powerful to have a child's voice because we're so used to in the legislature hearing from adults. And I do think that you know, that's really important. So any, any good ideas, I'm excited about them. I've had many good ideas brought to me by my constituents, in, including a bill that classified home invasion as a crime. Up until then, it was not. So I, I feel like I one of the reasons I've been able to sponsor and pass so many good pieces of legislation is because of the input from my constituents and from other Delawareans. Any advocacy groups 
that you can think of uh, outside of the young seventh grader, which is that's so heartwarming to hear, very heartwarming to hear about a young man working to push for change. But any group that you can think of that uh, pretty much has helped you uh, push for, for, for new legislation? Really, like um, conservation groups or environmental groups, I feel that listening to different environmentally group, environmental groups and in um, Sierra Club and our state groups about, um, you know, what they think about environmental issues. I am chair of the House Natural Resource Committee, and it's very important to hear from real people about how, you know, what they think is happening in Delaware with um, environmental issues such as contamination and water contamination, but also um, sea level rise. What do you suggest your constituents do? Say they have an idea. Should they do the research and contact lawyers, or is that up to you? Um, I think it all is very different. Uh, sometimes a person just has a really good idea and they bring it to me and we can continue and look into it. And that was with the, um, the growler bill. It was a really great idea. Other states had implemented it. And then we were able to, um, in the House, work on passage of that, it did take um, a session and a half to do, so three years. But we um, did the work, and and the constituent helped. Um, other times, people have a lot of information. If it's their passion, they have researched the idea and how it would make our state better, and then they, um, you know, bring it bring it to um, a legislator with it more developed, like with all the background information ready, even sometimes a model bill that a constituent or resident will bring to a legislator. I'd like to take this time to now welcome Representative Paul Baumbach, I really appreciate you. I also just want to welcome you to Whip Count. This is my first time interviewing you, so welcome. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm happy to be on. So we often hear about pieces of legislation lawmakers are working on, but what we don't hear about is the fact that sometimes constituents are right behind you guys. So how often do you chat with your constituents oh it's pretty ongoing um these days it's it's more remote so more facebook and email and and a little bit of text messages and phone calls um and in normal times it's you know during monthly coffees and and other times you're in the community uh but uh certainly in in my district in the 23rd district of the west and north side of newark uh there are people who are very engaged uh, with uh, state government, with policy, uh, and they uh, do not hesitate to, to reach out to their elected officials 
uh, to share what's what they care deeply about. Yeah. Can you share a time with our audience when you worked closely with the constituent? Um, well, I think that the the issue that I have worked the longest on, which is another way of saying it's taken a long time to get this done, uh, is the issue of medical aid and dying. Um, somewhere around five or six years ago, uh, when I was playing tennis in the morning on in our uh, one of the Newark tennis courts, um, I had uh, two uh, ladies on the court next to me in between uh, games come over and say, Paul, um, we really need you to look at this issue and we would love for you to take it up. And it, it has to do with uh, medical aid and dying, having, um, having the terminally ill able to work with their doctors uh, to, if they jump through an awful lot of protection hoops, uh, be able to uh, receive a medication which they can take in their final days to end, end their suffering from you know, cancer, or ALS, or, or otherwise uh, a terminal disease. And it, it's, it's one where, in one case, uh, this woman had seen her husband pass away and really not be able to be served well enough by our healthcare system. And having, just knowing that they had that ability to control their life at their, the end of their life would have made such a difference uh, in, in his final days. And just the pain that it brings to the family of, of seeing you know, this, this senior member go through this, this terrible time without assistance is, is, uh, was just heart-wrenching. And, and she uh, is committed to, she really wants to make sure that she has this option also. So uh, it's so important to her. And then the, the other person was, uh, is the, the mother of, of Jack Markell, who was the governor at the time. And frankly, when you have a constituent mm-hmm. who comes to you with an issue, who's the, uh, the mother of the governor, you listen. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, so uh, I, I, was, I was happy to learn more. And, and I quickly knew that this is an issue that, that I wanted to uh, bring to the legislature and to continue to work on until we're successful. It sounds like a very sensitive issue. Uh, have you had any pushback? Oh, certainly. It, it, it is a, it, it's a extremely touchy issue, and it's about a very difficult, extremely difficult time at the end of people's lives. You know, this is people don't like talking about it. You know, it's the thing we we try to avoid, but you can't avoid. And we are past the point where we say, you know, doctors know best. We're at the point where. You know, we are partners in our healthcare, and we'd like to have a say, and we'd like to have a role. And the, oh, do whatever the doctor tells you is no longer acceptable in our society. But for some reason, uh, we have permitted that to continue here uh, for the terminally ill. And so we do get pushback from some medical societies, including the Medical Society of Delaware. And yet we know that 45 to 50% of their members um, are in support of this, and we don't need a majority of them to support this. Uh, we just need a few doctors uh, in the state who are willing to uh, work with the terminally ill who are seeking this, and that's what you have in, in states across the country that have done this, including Oregon, which has had it uh, since the previous century. Uh, they've had it for 23, 24 years now, um, and now most recently New Jersey. So there's uh, often pushback from some in the medical community. There's also great support from many in the medical community. There are those, some, some in some uh, faith traditions uh, who oppose this, uh, to which I say that it's, I, I understand that and I respect that. And I'd suggest that you sp- uh, spread that amongst uh, those who share your, your view, but there's people in the state who don't share your view and you shouldn't uh, have 
uh, the ability to uh, rule them in the in their final days. Um, you know, we didn't elect you to uh, make that decision about this person who's dying. Um, and then there there's some in the uh, disabilities community who have come forward. Now I've got uh, several people, several friends who are in disability community who are very strong um, supporters of this. Yet we also have some in the disability community who will often come down to Dover and uh, and work against the passage of, of this bill. So it sounds like it sort of hits pretty close to home. This is very much a time where it is extremely important for Delaware residents to speak up and share their concerns. You know, if you want to, at the point that you or a loved one is terminally ill, if you want to have a say on whether you can work with a willing doctor uh, to receive a prescription um, of medicine you can take when your pain's unbearable and you, you've already said goodbye to all your loved ones and you're just ready. Um, again, you're terminally ill. This isn't, you know, this isn't out of the blue. This isn't just a random thing. This is a, you're in your last days and you want to have some agency. You want to have some control over uh, that point. If you want to have that power, then you need to speak up now because right now the state of Delaware prohibits you from having that. Um, it takes that power away from you. And uh, this bill, HB 140, is, is one where if you want that power, that option, then we need to speak up now, reach out to your elected officials, and desperately urge them to support uh, your right to that option. Have you been approached by anyone else in reference to something else? Well, I think that the two issues that have been um, front and center in recent years uh, one is voting access, and certainly in the past year, especially with the coronavirus, uh, the push to have more accessible voting, you know, the no excuse vote by mail, absentee voting, expanding early voting, you know, all that has been a real high priority for residents, and, and they've been very clear that, that they want that, and they, they want us to resist some of our colleagues who are, who are trying to make it harder and harder for people to vote. Um, and then the second is, um, and, and partly I think, I don't actually think this is all unique to Newark. Um, we have people who really care about our environment. And you know, there, there is a, an effort, a multi-year effort to keep working on renewable portfolio standards, making sure that more and more of the electricity produced and used in, in Delaware does not pollute our air and our water and have more and more from renewable sources with different uh, higher and higher target levels year by year. Uh, we, we've had efforts, and Senator Harris McDowell was leading those uh, through his retirement, but we, we do have a next step uh, to do that along with two other um, related steps, one involving community solar power. And, and these are um, issues that I have a lot of people who, who reach out to me and have shared how important that is to them, and they want to make sure that, that I'm working hard on that issue. And I'm sorry, I can't believe I forgot. The, the most important issue that came up this summer is the issue on police reform and on racial justice. And you know, we were able to do a few steps, including banning the, the knee holds, the lock holds, the choke holds in Delaware. But there's a lot more that needs to happen with criminal justice reform, with police reform, et cetera. And, you know, the, the marches we've had, we had a, a, several marches in, in Newark. I was at marches up in, uh, in Wilmington. Um, and you know, that is another issue that is felt very strongly by residents, uh, both in my district and across the state.
I'd like to take this time to welcome Javon Rich. She's with the ACLU and she's a policy advocate. I'm happy to have you tell me what encourages you to to advocate for others first and foremost. I'm a social worker um, by trade, so I have worked with people impacted by a myriad of socially constructed disadvantages for quite some time. And I just think it's so important to tackle, um, you know, macro constructs like government programs and institutions that contribute to disparities in different areas. Um, And it's not... I I can't ignore the fact that me as a black woman, um, people like me and people who look like me tend to be disproportionately impacted negatively by different laws and and social um, structures. So your job pretty much is to push for legislative change, correct? Yes, it's to push legislative change. It's also to do research about, you know, the history of laws or rules or uh, or organizations, as well as what would make them better. Um, so that also involves a lot of education and speaking with people and working with people to make, working with people who are impacted by different issues to make those changes. Did you ever see your life going in this direction, Javon? You know what? Um, I can't quite say that as a child I said I want to work for the ACLU of Delaware, uh-huh. um, but Uh, A couple years ago, when I was in my master's program for social work at Delaware State University, I observed a violation of probation hearings for a course, and it really struck me, um, one one case in particular struck me because the person who had a a substance abuse disorder was told that he would be held level five or in our prisons until a bed space opened in a treatment program. And I remember thinking, wow, so we have so many more bed spaces in our prisons than actual programs that can help people and benefit people. So that is what really, you know, really struck a nerve in me um, to want to work in the field of policy. And especially with the ACLU, the ACLU works to preserve and advance civil liberties and civil rights on a number of issues. And so I thought this would be a great place for me to impact change. So, so tell us, Javon, have you, what sticks out in your mind? What's the most memorable thing that you've worked on thus far? Okay, great. Um, so I um, began working with the ACLU about three years ago as an intern, and I've been working here full-time as a policy advocate for the last year. And what really sticks out for me is when I um, first started in around 2018, uh, the Campaign for Smart Justice was really revving up, and through education, organizing and political advocacy, we were really able to move forward some historic criminal justice legislation. And that included expanding uh, expungement opportunities uh, for folks, uh, influencing the attorney general's race to ensure that the person who was in that position was pro-criminal justice reform. So often people feel as if they don't have a voice. And what would you like to say to those folks? You know, legislators do. They, they love hearing from constituents. They love hearing from advocacy groups. What would you say to an individual who still feel like, hey, I, I'm not sure. I don't know if I should reach out. 
I would say, you know, sometimes I have felt that way too. But, you know, what I learned is that your voice matters. Your one person voice does matter. And you can really see that in voting, right? So even though you're thinking it's just my one vote, but if you bring all those one votes together, like that really makes a, a, a huge difference. So I, I really encourage people to join uh, groups of like-minded people, people who are focusing on the issues that are important to you um, to really galvanize a change. So even if you think that your one, your one voice alone doesn't matter, join other people, you know, um, really expand the power that you have by, by making those changes. Whip Count is brought to you by the Delaware House Democratic Caucus. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash dehousedems, on Twitter at dehousedems, on Instagram also at dehousedems. More episodes are coming, so make sure you're subscribed.